Good morning. Good morning. There I am. First, uh, I want to welcome anybody who's new and welcome you to Soundhouse Church. We're glad you're just even just checking the church out, especially in this season. Um, and if you have any questions or anything like that, like Chad said, him and I will be up here afterwards. And we would definitely love to meet you and get to know you a little bit. And um, if not, we get it. You know, you just wanted to kind of pop in and pop out. That's a thing, too. Uh, first, I want to say thank you to um, the guys and um, who are doing construction. Uh, Rob, where are you at? Rob, I got to thank you every week. I see this guy here all the time. <laughs> Appreciate your hard labor. Man, oh man, this guy, he works hard. And, and he's got another job as well. So we really, really appreciate it. And everybody who jumped in and helped and poured concrete and filled dirt. And it's, it's getting there, right? We're getting there. Pretty soon we will have six flushing toilets. And <laughs> that sounds like a part of the Christmas song. Six flushing toilets. It's going to be great, though. It is. And, uh, you know, many more things. So just want to remind everybody, just continue to pray for our process. And if you want to jump in and be a part of it, it's a mix between some, prof some professional hired in work and a lot of work that we can do to bring the cost down for this project. You can jump in, you can give, you can be a part of that. Our goal is to raise $50,000 and um, continue to move that way to cover the cost. Obviously, you know, you guys know this, the church, you know, we've been saving for years and years and years and knowing that one day something like this would come. So we made a big investment of 50000 Someone donated twenty and said, let's start this project. So we're looking for another fifty. So if you guys could think about it, pray about it, and jump on and, and, and look in ways that you can participate. It doesn't have to be just financial. If you want to come in and, and, and dig some holes... <laughs> Rob will put you to work, <laughs> you know, but um, all, all of that will be appreciated, and we're doing this all together, which is awesome. Um, I will never forget those bathrooms, Rob. Every time I go in now, I remember the, the moments I was throwing dirt on the ground, and, and so that's the beauty of it, though, is that you get to participate in many different ways, and so, um, well, listen, we're in a series, our Advent series, and we are in the process of talking about and in the anticipation of Christ's arrival. I love this part of the year, um, probably because we do leading up into Easter in the same way. We get to really focus on something significant that happened that really changed humanity, changed our lives. And so for us, we're looking at this series and going, okay, how did the arrival of Christ, God in the flesh, change our lives? And so we're starting to look at like, more obviously beginning at the story of the narrative when Christ came as a child, but the impact of why God came in the flesh. Part of the reason why God even came in the flesh and walked among the people and modeled a way of living and taught about the kingdom and salvation you know, it was a revolutionary thing that happened that changed the way we live and the way that we move. Our series passage is this, 1 John 2, 6. It says, whoever says he abides in him, Christ, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Abide, meaning whoever remains in Christ, whoever lives in Christ, ought to walk the same way. I said this last week, but we should memorize this passage 
uh, during this Advent season. You should commit it to memory. Some of you do this. We commit all kinds of things to memory, and if there's anything to commit to memory, it would be Scripture. It brings life to us. It informs our way of living, right? How many of you, and, and this is no comparison to make you feel bad at all, but I am somewhat curious. How many of you spend a decent amount of time memorizing or knowing sports facts for your fantasy football team? Would you just raise your hands there? <laughs> Chad's got both hands up. No shame here. No shame here, right? It's funny because Chad, Chad was never really like a, like a, you know, like, I never heard him really talk about sports much, right, Chad? <clears throat> no. But when fantasy football came around, and uh, all of a sudden now, he, he, like, knows so much about football, it's insane. And when we put our mind to something, when we're motivated by something, we commit our, mem we commit it to memory. We make it so we can access it quickly when we need it. We do it with poetry, right? We do it with facts. I'm, I love facts. And I will commit them to memory. I will read an article and be like, I'm going to have this in a conversation sometime, and I want to know this fact. Anybody like that? Especially so I can prove that person wrong. I love <laughs> that. When you're in a marriage, you even do it when you fight. You're like, what you're saying now, I will remember this, and I now <clears throat> will remember. And then when you bring it back up, it's like, hey, you said this. They're like, I never said it. Like, no, let me quote you, right? We remember <laughs> these things, right? We're w w walking... <laughs> We're, we're going through life, and we're trying to access what the Bible says at any moment and any time in our life. It's important to walk, to, to commit things to our memory. But I, I think this is true. Walking like Christ ultimately is part of the hope of his arrival. Why Jesus came in the flesh is so we can walk like Christ. I got to read this. It's the Christmas story of hope. It's really the beginning of hope here that we see in the story. And it all started in Matthew 1, It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, Joseph, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. He was a little worried because Mary is now pregnant. It says, for which uh, is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You will call his name Jesus, most important part, for he will save his people from their sins. That's why Christ came. Why did he arrive? He will save people from their sins. He will save them from these transgressions. He will save them from being separated from God. The sin that separates us from God. He will save people from that. He will show people how to deal with sin. He's going to rescue people. There is the hope of Christmas. You know, God showed up in human form, and what do we see? When you look at Jesus' life, Chad is the first person I would say this, like, hey, if you want to start somewhere, start in, in John, so you can really understand who Jesus was. Really understand Christ, God in the flesh. And as you read through it, and I've recommended the same thing to many people, like read and walk, watch how Christ walked. What did he do? What did he say? How did he live? How did he deal with sin? How did he deal with sinners? And how did he encourage others to continue to remain free from sins that entangle us? You know, I was uh, curious the other day, and I was looking up uh, forensic artists. 
in how they do sketches. Because I always see, like, they're like, is this what he looked like? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, but how do they do that? How do they start? I didn't realize it takes hours and to get, and sometimes hours and hours, to get a sketch right for a forensic artist to identify maybe the perpetrator. And I was reading their method. This is what I do with my time. And I was like, okay, so they, they start with, let's just get them comfortable, get them relaxed, and then we want them to sh at least share the basic shapes, the, the foundation of the face. If we can get that shape right, and at least maybe some general, like how the hair looked. And then next step is to then eventually get them to fill in the, the, the mid-level detail and then eventually the clear detail of what that person looks like. I think when we look at the Christmas story and we're talking about freedom from sin and salvation and how to walk towards righteousness instead of sin, it, we're looking at that general structure of why Christ came. The foundation of why Christ came. And then the more and more we explore about Christ, we can begin to see the fine-tuning exactly how Christ lived, how he walked, in so many other ways. But the structure of it, the general foundation is Christ came, like the angel said to Joseph, to save people from their sins. I think the Christmas story is a declaration of victory. When we celebrate on Christmas Eve here and we light our candles, of which we will light these candles in here, without the fire department's permission now, right, Chad? This is exciting. Um, we used to be in a school, so we had to get lots of permissions. And um, we're going to remember in that moment that we're the light of the world that began with salvation from sin to save us from a life away from God, separate from the Father. Grace that encompassed us. That's what Christ's arrival is about. It's beautiful. Realistically, though, for this message, because <clears throat> you're like, wait, we're talking about Christmas. Uh, you know, it came for Advent, and we're talking about sins. Okay, calm down. It's so important, but it's important to talk about when it comes to this. I think realistically, sin, it's present in our lives. None of us can walk around and say we're sinless. Now, the power of sin has no power over you anymore. What Christ did on the cross. The power of sin, it has no power over you. Because Christ won it, has all authority, and gave it to you as well. But sins around us, we will still choose to sin. It's present in our life. And I think sometimes when we talk about sins, if someone's like, well, I've been in sin, people are like, don't talk about that. Just, just, just keep that to yourself. You know what I mean? Or even when we acknowledge our sin, or even talk about it openly, like I'm battling this this situation, it's like, <clears throat> not to reference Harry Potter, but Chad and I were talking about this the other day, and he brought the example, but it's like Voldemort, like, no, 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 the name that will not be named, we just know it's there, but we don't talk about it, but it's important to talk about, it's very, very, very important to talk about, I, I think this is true, it's continually being, <clears throat> right, sin is present, but it's continually being dismantled in our new creation model of living that Christ modeled. The way he walked, how he dealt with sin, <clears throat> how we should see sin in our life. It's continually being just dismantled. I think Christ took the power of sin and he destroyed it and he showed us how to remove the remnants of sin in our life. 
I thought when I became a Christian I would never sin again. How quickly I was fooled by that. I remember the first time I consciously knew I sinned. I was like, oh, God. It was serious. I was like, okay, God, don't leave me. Like, it was intense. I'm glad I had that level of appreciation for grace. But I was so, didn't understand that sin was still present. I still had to resist it. I still had to dismantle its effects in my life. I had been shaped for 19 years in certain ways. And in an instant, the power of sin was broken over my life, but the remnants of sin remained. And, and, and I had to continually begin to dismantle it. Do you guys remember, some of you will not, when the uh, USSR fell, right? And the wall came down, and, 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 and the Soviet commun communist Soviet Union began to fall and break apart. Its power over its people began to crumble. And if you guys remember this moment up here, moments like this, where the, 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 the power of the government had collapsed, and the people began to then take down the remnants of the things that reminded them of that power, of that oppressive power, especially at that time. And I think it's a lot like sin. The power of the governance and the authority over your life of sin has been destroyed. But the remnants of the way we walk our life out, we will begin to slowly dismantle parts of it in our life. And it's so important that we do it. Here's what I'll say for today. There are three ways that Christ modeled in the flesh how to begin to dismantle sin in your life. You didn't win the power over sin. Christ did that. You, you didn't win all dominion, authority, and power. Christ did that. But you are involved and invited to engage in dismantling the remnants of sin and its power that it used to have over your life. If it wasn't, though, I would say for God's grace. And this whole message has to be kept in the mindset of grace. If you walk out of here and feel like God must hate you, you sin, then you miss the message. The whole thing is wrapped in grace. You can only go to God with your sin because of grace. You, how God views you and sees you as his own, as his child, is because of grace. And this life you're walking out in the flesh is wrapped in grace, but encourage to destroy the remnants of sin in your life. I titled this message, Resist, Remain, Restore. These are the three ways of which definitely Christ in the flesh incarnated showed us how to deal and look at sin, especially because he came to save us from it. Without Christ, there, there, if we don't have Christ, what, what then do we do with sin? How do we deal with sins? It would have to be some very religious order and structure. You would have to uh, dig a hole and fill it ten times and then you'd be clean, right? I see people non-religious dealing with their sins in ways, in a, in a system, and a structure, just so they can feel somewhat free from the guilt of that sin that they committed, that wrong that they have done. But it's not what Christ has done. Without Christ, something else has to fill that gap in our life. Christ comes and says, I can free you. From sin, We're only talking about sin this casually because of Christ. We're talking about grace. We're talking about bringing it to God. We're talking about power and authority, the power of sin to separate you from God, all taken by Christ. 
sin's power destroyed. We're only doing that because of the arrival of Christ that we're going to celebrate in a little bit. But I would say this, because of God's view, of God's grace, how do we view ourselves in, in, in the light of his grace when we make mistakes or when we realize there's sin in our life? How do we deal with that? How do we view ourselves? Do we shame ourselves so badly that we begin to go, God, you must hate me. You must not love me. I'm a bad Christian. I don't know what that is, but I'm a bad Christian. Or do we press in to God? There is not one time that someone who is in sin, who goes to Jesus with their sin, is ever shamed and put away from him. God is not like that. God is inviting you to bring it to him so you can be free from it. And how do we view others in the light of this loving father? You know, <clears throat> when I first became a Christian, I, I would run into people because I had come from such a place of like, I was, I was full in on the sin, okay? Prior to Christianity, I was like, uh, let's chase the darkness as far as it goes. Very much that way. And I remember when the contrast happened and I felt grace and I felt freedom from the sin, I remember I was a little bit scared of people who were in sin, like who, who didn't know Christ. And, and they were, the, the, the sin was like, a, a, they were living it outwardly. And I remember I would just be so nervous, like, oh, I can't be around the person. I don't want to I, I uh, uh, be connected with those kind of people because I left those kind of people. And I remember my view changing over time of like, man, Ryan, that's right where you need to be. How do we view other people when it comes to sin? That's right where you need to be, Ryan. The Bible says, how beautiful is it when the gospel, someone who's traveling with the gospel comes to someone? How beautiful are the blessed are the feet, I guess it says, when they show up in someone's life. So let's just talk about these three things where Jesus talks about it. Now, I have a lot of scripture. It's worth either writing it down. You can download my message uh, on our app, on our app only. I was wrong about that last week. You can't do it on the website, only on the app. But I have printed off some copies as well if you want a copy of the message, um, if, if apps aren't your thing. But I will say this, is that the first thing we see with Jesus when it comes to sin and the saving us from sin is he models something beautifully, and it's how to resist it. How do you resist it? Jesus' humanity in the flesh is faced with the temptation of sin. He's faced with it just like us. So when he says, I know what it's like to be you, the Bible says, he was faced with it, but yet remained pure. It's part of being human, right? Facing temptation. It's part of it. But how do we fight it? And here we go. Luke 4, 1 through 13. It's a very famous story of Christ in the desert. I'm going to read pieces of it, but I want to read how he responds to dealing with temptation. Luke 4, 1 through 13 is the whole section. We'll read verse 1. Jesus is uh, the initial leading out into the desert. And Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. He returned from the Jordan after he was baptized. And he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. So for 40 days, we, we only were going to read three. I don't know, but I want to read for 40 days being tempted by the devil. Christ was experiencing temptation. And just like we do. The first one was over bread. 
turn that stone into bread. Let's just see if you are who you say you are. And Jesus, this is how he does it. This is how he deals with it. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. <clears throat> see the importance of knowing scripture, knowing these truths, and be able to have them just like a staff to respond to temptation. This is not of God. So he responds, it is written. The second temptation is power and authority. I have been given all of this, the devil says, and I can give it to you. But you got to just do this thing for me. Worship me is ultimately what he asked Jesus to do. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Instantly, to deal with temptation, it is the truths of God, the truths of Scripture, right? And that's why we must have these at the ready. You will face temptation going down the freeway in rush hour to sin. And how ready are you for that? You will face temptation when someone wrongs you to retaliate. And how ready are you? What's your stockpile of Scripture that you have to bring to memory? Or how would Jesus do this? How fast do you have that to bring out? And the last temptation that he experienced in this section was ultimately the question of, do you actually trust God? Is God trustworthy? Throw yourself off of this. Surely angels will protect you. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you should not put the Lord your God to test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until another opportune time. Meaning he wasn't done trying to tempt Jesus. Being human, you will face temptations. Christ showed us resist. Resist it. And how do you resist it? Fill your heart with the truths of who God is and how Jesus walked so you can instantly deal with it. it this whole section, though, side note, sounds very familiar to a, a situation that happened in Genesis. It had to do with food. It had to do with power and authority. And it ultimately had to do with who do you trust? Do you trust God? I think it's very interesting that, that power, food, and trust, it's almost like a garden moment happening again. But I actually was thinking about it. That garden moment, that temptation happens to us all the time, just like to us, just, just like Jesus, just like it does to us, right? You will question who, who will provide for me provision and the, the temptation to get provision wrongly or unfairly or will I compromise? We're tempted with will I compromise or do I trust God? Do I really trust what he says? We will, we will be tempted just like Jesus was. It's not abnormal. You're just being human, but there is a better way, and Christ showed us a way. I love this verse in James 4, 7 uh, through 10. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Submit, resist, and draw near. Very simple pathway. Submit, resist, and draw near to God and you will begin the process of resisting temptation so you do not fall into sin. Christ came to save us from sin. In a very cosmic level, in a very real life, walking your life out level. That's why Christ came. 
The second part is remain. I think, I, I, I don't want to, I want to say this in a way that sounds old school, but let us never become comfortable in sin. We, we, we have to be careful to be comfortable with it. We have to be careful and evaluate ourselves, whether we're allowing ourselves to be more and more comfortable in sin. Letting it adapt to our life. <laughs> you know, it's like when you get in a hot tub, especially at 104 degrees, the only hot tub temperature that should be, you put your foot in, you're like, oh, oh. But then you slowly ease in and you get very, very comfortable. And pretty soon you're like, wow, it was shocking before, but I'm very comfortable now. That's how sin is in our life. It'll be quite shocking. But then the more and more we're sitting in it, the more and more we become comfortable. That We have to make sure that not only do we resist it in the beginning, but if we do not, we will find ourselves being comfortable with it. We must remain vigilant and continue to fight sin in our life. Your homework for this week is to read Romans 6. It is a fantastic chapter of Romans about sin. Paul puts out, I think, a very compelling case to choose life and not death. It's worth the entire read. I picked out some of my favorites out of this section, and I want to read them to you because they're so, I think, thought-provoking in a way. Verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So he's dealing with remain. Remain. Don't just, don't, don't just uh, fall into sin again or just rely on the fact that God is, is so gracious, but remain fighting the good fight against sin in our life. He says, are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we who buried sin in our life want to continue to live in it? It gets even more, it gets even more intense. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Verse 12, let no sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. And that's what sin does. To make you obey its passions. Because we are not enslaved to sin. We are, in a way, enslaved to Christ. It says, what then? Are you to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Again, he hits it again. By no means do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves. You are slaves of the one of whom you obey. Very interesting setup. He says either you are a slave and you will obey sin, or which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. You will be enslaved to something, one or the other. Why enslave yourself to sin? You have been freed. You are alive. Why take on the remnants of death? Verse 20, when you were slaves in sin, you were free in regards to righteousness, right? You didn't understand there was another way. But listen to what he says, verse 21. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you now are ashamed? That is a very good passage to remember. When we find ourselves like going back into the old ways. Because the old ways want you back. And the old ways... If we, we, we will tend to forget how bad it was, 
how miserable you were, if that's the case, how entrapped you were in sin, how lost you were, how hopeless you were, how dark it felt. We will forget and we will go there again and we want to visit this old friend. But it's not a friend to you. He says, have you forgotten what it's like and how ashamed you were? Don't ever forget that. Verse 23, the wages of sin is death. This is the, 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 the final punch, the summary of the entire thing. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Jesus, or Paul is encouraging us, remain. Abide in him and walk like him. Don't give in to these remnants. You're free. You have a new identity. Why take on the old stuff? that you were once ashamed of. Do not get comfortable in it. What is sin? James lays it out pretty easy for us. Zoomed in view of sin that we can take tangibly and go, is this wrong? Do I know it to be wrong? And I do it? I fail to do it? What's right? I'm in sin. Now begin to run your life daily filter through that passage. Thank God for grace. Thank God for grace. But this is a really good passage to remember. If I know it's the right thing to do, but I fail to do it, I'm in sin. Christ came to save us from that sin, and we look to Christ to do the right thing and have the power to do it. And here's how you ultimately will remain, I would say, seeking righteousness instead of giving into the remnants of sin is uh, to expose it to the light. Bring it out into the light. Man, I love, love, love how I look when it's very, very dim in a room. <laughs> when I turn on that light in the morning and it's like, whoa, reality. I'm 45 and it's, it's showing, right? Or like I'm losing my hair a little bit and then when I see a side mirror and I'm always seeing the front, you know what I mean? And then I see the side mirror, I'm like, oh, exposure is not good. When we want to deal with something, we need to expose it. Or it will lie and it will fester, and we will not see it for what it is. James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working, meaning that sometimes we'll bring our things to each other. Accountability. Bring it in saying, listen, this is, I'm dealing with this. I need to share this with you. And that may be what we do sometimes. Uh, John 1, 4 says, if we confess our sins, now this is meaning to God. He is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. Meaning that if you bring it to him, he's faithful and he's just. And he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And I love Psalm 38, even though this isn't from Jesus. 38, 18, it says, I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. That's pretty simple. I don't know how much we have that in our regular daily routine with God. We're saying, God, in that situation, God, I know I was in sin. And I want to turn from that. And I know I have the power through the Holy Spirit to turn from this. Give me strength, God. Or help me make that right if it was against someone else. But I will tell you that it is what Jesus came for, like Joseph was told, is to save us from our sins. 
Because we have to remember, what, what's the fruit that we get out of that? It's always a negative fruit when we embrace sin and walk that path. The last thing is this. Jesus taught us how to resist. We're taught, to, we we're taught how to remain, right? Especially in those ways of bringing it into the light and identifying what sin is. But then the biggest, I think one of the most important things is to see that Jesus taught us how to restore. There's one thing Jesus never did is he never ran from a sinner. When someone came to Jesus, and no matter whether they were a, a leper in need of healing or someone who was the, the most socially ostracized person in the community because of their great sin, he never was like, oh, don't touch me. Oh, don't, get away. And he never had his disciples get out as his bodyguards and go, no, 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 no. Okay, you're gross, right? He never did that. He always met that person in their place. Now, it's a great example of how we can come to God with that. But it's also a great modeling how we do not run from sinners. We do not run from those who are in sin and unaware of the beauty of righteousness. We engage, right? We separate sin in our lives, but we do not separate from sinners. Can I say that strongly enough? We separate sin in our life. We are dismantling sin in our life, but we do not separate from sinners. Now, if they're influencing you and you're like, oh, hey, 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 that was kind of fun. Let's do that again. That's on you. That's your problem. If you're not ready to evangelize, don't do it. But I'm trying to tell you the example is, is I will be here. I will not run from you. There's nothing too gross or too disgusting for me because it wasn't disgusting to Jesus. And I will never forget how disgusting I was in my sin. So let me read this great story. Jesus knows, I think, our humanity, and he loves us where we are, but he always leads people to truth and freedom and its fruit. I'm going to read this section. It's a long section. It's a great story. This is maybe one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I needed this story when I was a new believer. I thought I was a filthy, disgusting person. And then when I walked into church, I looked at all of you, and I'd be like, I don't belong here. Uh, you, you, if you knew what I did and what kind of person I was, I don't belong here. I always felt like an outsider in church. Maybe somebody feels like that here. This story right here just... It just lit my life up when I read it. It's uh, Luke 7. I'll start in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And when he went into the Pharisee's, the Pharisee's house, meaning he's going into the religious leader's house, and he reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's, uh, in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, which is a very expensive piece of her profession. It was her ointment, her perfume as this prostitute. And standing beside him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them away with her hair and her head uh, on her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. She needed to be free. I feel like that's just the beauty of what happens when sin sees freedom. She literally sees freedom in front of her, and she's willing to risk being 
probably beat for entering this house. Definitely ostracized and mocked, which she is. And judged. And possibly being rejected by Jesus. She doesn't know. But sin, when it sees Jesus, it, it, see, it needs freedom. We need freedom from it. Now, when the Pharisees had invited, who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man was a prophet, he would have known who, or what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. Jesus answered, saying to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender two, had two debtors. One owed 50 or 500 denarii and the other owed the other 50. It says, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to uh, Simon, do you see this woman? And this is the the the, the Greatest example Christ gives is like, do, do you actually see this woman? How heartless and how cold just by saying, I'm better than this person. I've, I've arrived or I've evolved to a certain place or I understand more. Look at that filthy sinner. Do you actually see this person? And sadly, I think sometimes we, we don't. We will look at someone like, oh, I can't believe them. Oh, I don't, not you, because you're very holy people. But I don't know if you've ever been there, but you will judge someone just on their actions and go, that's awful. Jesus says, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and she's wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, from the time she had come in, she has not ceased kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Going back to who would love the person who forgave the debt more, the one with much or one with little? And he says, she has loved much, for he is forgiven, but, but, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith saved you. Go in peace. Going right back to what Joseph was told by that angel. Her faith in Christ, the arrival of Christ, saved her from her sins. I think we must never, 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 I think, take our eyes off of our restoration calling. You were called to be part of the restoration. You were called to reconcile. You were called as believers not just to deal with your own sin, but to see others who are in sin and have care, compassion, and love. He never shied away like that. So why did Jesus walk in the flesh? This is one of the examples of why. As a church, it's wonderful to gather together. And I think God loves his holy church. It's his body. But Christ deploys his body for his work, and his body goes places that people would say, no, that's, Christians shouldn't 
talk to those kind of people. Christians shouldn't do that. Christians shouldn't go there. Now, there are some places you shouldn't go, okay? But what I'm trying to say is, ultimately, Christ never was afraid of sin in someone. It was a part of their humanity, but he knew the way and invited them into it. We're called to be a part of restoring, reconciling this earth. But the thing about it is, is like we said in the beginning, grace, all of this is surrounded by grace. When you experience temptation, doesn't mean you're a terrible person. Right? It means you're human. But Christ gave you a way to resist it. Right? When you, ex- when you are being, when you're dealing with sin or trying to keep it at bay or deal with it and you're remaining in Christ, it's part of being human. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means that Christ showed you a way. And when you see other people, our human response is to judge. I know that. But Christ showed us another way. But it's all wrapped in grace. And I think grace, and this is the hardest thing about sin and grace, and why some people find it so hard that God would forgive them and God would continue to forgive them. And when they sin, they want to run from God instead of bring it to God. Or they want to judge themselves. Is because grace is uncomfortable. Is it not? Grace is very, very uncomfortable, especially divine grace. Uh, it's, like a, it's like a gift. You know when it's a Christmas and you got this unbelievable gift from one of your relatives and you are shocked that they gave it to you? It's too much. And you're unwrapping it and you're like, oh. And you're like, I didn't even get you anything. And you just are weird about it. And you're like, oh, it's too much. It's too much. No, 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 I can't take this. Anybody find themselves in this scenario or can imagine themselves here? Or when someone is extra generous to you and you're like, no, 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 I'll get you something too. And they're like, no, 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 it's, it's a gift. And you're like, oh, and then it, the gift actually becomes a torturing device for you. Every time you see it, you're like, oh, I feel so bad. We, we will do that with God's grace. We will feel like that we're not enough. We will feel, and, and ultimately, because of Christ, you are enough. But we'll feel like we've got to pay him back. We've got to feel like we've got to pay penance for our sins. We feel like we've got to do this ourselves. But you're, 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 you're wrong about that approach. The fact is, is that God's grace is more than you can understand or handle. And it's a free gift. We feel uncomfortable. We feel guilty. We feel unworthy about it. But it just is what it is. Get used to it. You have to. We want to pay him back. But the only thing we can do is respond in gratitude and in mercy. And so when he, he Jesus teaches this example once, of a, and, and it's another really good one, this parable of a guy who uh, was forgiven a little, uh, a massive, massive, massive debt. But then when he goes out on the street, he finds people who used to owe him, and he strangles them over pennies, and he says, give me that money, I need that money. And God does not look favorably, favorably upon that. He does not like that. And I think in the same way with grace, you've been given so much grace and your debt was so great. But Christ came to save you from that debt. And in a way, with that gift of grace, it's uncomfortable. Like, we can't lose sight of what a beautiful gift it was that we go out and we judge and hold other people to account that God never held you to that type of account. That's why it's important to restore. 
right? We want to pay God back. We want to feel like we've got to do more. We've got to feel like we've got to do all these things. But he's saying, listen, just receive my free gift. But in our response, our response is to go. Be good, be, be good news. Light. Go. Love more. Go. Be more kind. Go. Response is like in the grace, like Paul said, don't go and sin more. Why? Why would you, why would you want to rebuild the old empire? Keep tearing its remnants down. How about if a person forgives you faster than you thought based on what you did? You're uncomfortable with that. You feel like, well, I just want to apologize again. Like, stop apologizing. I, I forgave you. No, but how could you forgive me what I did? And we get ourselves in these places, but grace is so good. God's grace is mercy. You have to let that soak in when it comes to sin, when it comes to others. We have to let grace be is what's surrounding us. But our response needs to be, I need to continue to dismantle sin in my life and I need to love those who are in sin and begin to continually show them that there's another way and that's through Jesus. Listen, I, I'll just say this last thought before we take communion. God's gift of grace, it does offend our human inclination. Oh, it's too good to be true. Yeah, yeah, nothing wrong with that. It does offend the human inclination, but I tell you what, it's meant not to make you feel guilty or bad about yourself, or you don't deserve anything, or that you're worthless, or in the, if God sees you, how could he even just see this horrible, filthy, sinful person? It's meant to inspire worship. It's meant to inspire awe, not guilt and shame. So yes, you will sin. I'm sorry to tell you that. You probably have sinned already today. There was something you knew to do right, and you didn't do it. But there's grace. There's mercy. There's forgiveness. I understand. Don't conceal it. Bring it to God. He is faithful and just to forgive. He's a just God. If you sin, and you want to see and be comfortable in it, you are only seeking death. Death in an area of your life that will bring about the fruit of destruction. So continue to seek righteousness. This is the model Christ gave us over and over and over throughout Scripture. And ultimately, I would say, this is the beauty of Christmas, is that you have freedom. Your gift is grace at Christmas. And the fruit is freedom. To have a healthy life, a healthy marriage, healthy family, healthy relationships, uh, healthy within our culture, a healthy view on humanity and God's plan to restore it, and a healthy mission. That's the beautiful gift of Christmas, and that you can call a loving God your Father only because of Jesus. And that's what Christmas is about. You know, we're going to take communion in a minute, and during this last worship song, I, I want to uh, let you know that any time during the song, you can feel free to come up here and grab either one of the packets and take them back if you don't want to reach out of the other elements. But feel free to grab those and head back to your seat. What I want to encourage you to do in this moment of communion is that while Christ is on the cross and his blood is shed and his body is be, has been slain, is it was for you, your sins, so that you could be right with God and to walk and live a life as a new creation the way God intended you to be. And so in that moment, 
when Christ invites his disciples like we will invite you, is as we take the bread and as we drink the wine, to remember that his body was broken for you and his blood was shed so you could be pure snow before God. And that we could walk in the same way as Christ, that we will pick up our cross and follow him. So let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you. God, as we take communion, God, I ask that you just, um, maybe there's some of us in here that needed to hear this. Maybe we become too comfortable, God. Or maybe there's some of us in here that don't really believe that the grace is good enough to be true. Or maybe some of us don't understand that you have all power and authority over sin, God, and we are called into tearing the remnants of its effect in our life, out of our life. Or God, maybe some of us in here, God, have, have not followed that example of Christ and we've, we've sought out sinners instead of running from sinners to bring good news and to love them how Christ loved them, your future children. And so, God, I ask that as we take communion, we remember in this moment your love for us so much so that you died for us so we could have life as a new creation to walk as we ought to, as the way you did. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you guys sing with me this last song? <laughs>